What a wonderful privilege we enjoy again tonight to be able to assemble together and to be able to study a portion of God's Word. Last Sunday evening, I mentioned that we would be studying in the month of May on Sunday evenings a series of lessons entitled, Things That Accompany Salvation. And these series of lessons are based upon the fact that we recognize the vulnerability of those of us who become Christians, and after we become Christians, the challenge to remain faithful to God. I would want to briefly review with you the thrust of these lessons found in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 12, he says, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and falling away from the living God. It's something about which everyone should be careful, beware of, and to take heed lest they allow this to overtake them. When you come to the chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews, he describes a situation beginning with verse 12 in which they should have developed to the point that they had become teachers, but they had not. And he goes on to explain to them that there should be in each of us a desire to go beyond, to go forward, and to grow to a point that we are no longer following after these first principles, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the teaching of baptisms, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And he said in chapter 6 and verse 3, And this we will do if God permits. In verses 4 through 8, he describes a situation in which those who do not grow put themselves in peril for eternal life. In fact, their souls are in jeopardy. But I want to notice the key verse, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9. But beloved, we are persuaded better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. We're persuaded that you will grow. You will do well. You will do better. And you know, as you think about that, when we look at those who are new Christians, we look at their vulnerability as we discussed last week. What you and I as those who are older Christians should be doing for them to try to help them along life's way. The reality is, is when we talk with people, we say, you want to go to heaven? Be a member of the body of Christ. Become a Christian. But after they do that, what then? What then? How do I make it after I become a Christian all the way to eternal life? That's what we're going to discuss. And tonight I want to emphasize the importance of growing in knowledge. And the best passage that I could think of as a springboard for us to discuss that tonight is the one that Brother Randy read for us just a few minutes ago. From 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. If you will, open your Bible back to that passage of Scripture. This is the springboard passage we're going to use to launch us into our lesson. He says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, 
you always have to look back and see what those things are. And you go back to what he says in verse 13, and he's talking about there being a promise left of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're not talking about this old world. We're not talking about this old earth. We're looking forward to an eternal home in heaven. That's what is the focus of the promises of God. Because of that, he says to be diligent to be found in him in peace. You've got to give some effort to it. I don't want anybody to think that when we find ourselves becoming a Christian that now we can sit back and say, everything's done, I don't have anything else to do. No, I have to work at it. I have to put some effort into it. He says that we would be without spot and blameless. You know, it's a struggle for each of us to try to avoid sin. We've got to learn what sin is and we've got to learn how to not let it become a part of our lives. And so he says an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. God's patience with us. You go all the way back to verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has been patient and kind and long-suffering enough to give us an opportunity to learn, to grow, and to correct our mistakes. Then he focuses on the fact that the Apostle Paul has written on these topics. In fact, he goes on to emphasize that in these things in which Paul has written, he said there are some things that are hard to understand. Frankly, I will tell you there's a number of places in God's Word that I struggle to understand what is being written. There's a number of places where I read what the Scripture says and then I can't just immediately say, oh, I know what that means. You have to study it, to grapple with it, to understand. But I want you to focus now, if you will, on what the text says here in verse 16. He says, which the untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. You see, here is why it's important for those who are new Christians to grow in knowledge is because once we become a Christian, if we're not careful because we are untaught, we haven't learned everything we need to know yet, it's possible for us to take God's word and to twist it. The older translations use the word Rest, W-R-E-S-T, which means to twist, to distort. We don't want to do that. So what he says to them in verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing these things beforehand, beware lest you fall away from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. So what is a solution? but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's something that we have to do. We have to grow in that knowledge. Well, how do I grow in knowledge? Well, I'm going to suggest to you three things tonight and offer some practical 
solutions, some practical advice as we try to do that. Number one is the acquiring of knowledge. Number two is knowledge and wisdom. And then number three is use it or lose it. Let's begin, first of all, with the acquiring of knowledge. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 12. And I just want to look at one verse to begin with in verse 8. And I want you to observe how people in the first century church, many of them acquired knowledge. And he is in this section of Scripture enumerating the various spiritual gifts. And he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. What that means is that in the first century, when the apostles laid their hands on certain individuals, they had miraculous knowledge. Let me illustrate that to you. There were people who had the gift of speaking in tongues. When the apostles laid their hands on a person, that person could speak in a language they had never studied never been to school, never been trained in it. They had the miraculous ability, for instance, to speak Arabic or to speak Hebrew for if they were some other nationality, to speak Latin, to speak Greek, to speak the various dialects that were of the various peoples of those worlds. Can you imagine today being able to speak Spanish without ever having studied it? These people had, many of them, miraculous knowledge in the first century church. And you say, well, why did he do that for them and did not do it for us today? It's because they needed it immediately. They didn't have a, a group of men that had been trained, women that had been trained for many years. They needed that miraculous knowledge. Go over with me, if you will, to chapter 13. Verse 2 and then verse 8. Paul says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. He talks about people who had all knowledge, the potentiality, if you will, for that. But you drop down to verse 8 and he says, Love never fails, but where there be prophecies, they will fail. And where there will be tongues, they will cease. And where there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. When Paul says that, he's not talking about all knowledge vanishing away, but that miraculous knowledge. There came a time in which the last person died upon whom an apostle had laid their hands that there were no more miraculous gifts. And miraculous knowledge ceased. Well, once it did, how did a person get knowledge? As we would say the old-fashioned way, they had to learn it. They had to acquire it by study. I like the way the King James renders 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
The American Standard, New King James, say be diligent. What you have to understand is for us to acquire knowledge today requires more than just simply saying, I wish I knew this. It requires some study. I have to be able either to hear someone speak it or to read it. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things to him who is the head, even Christ. You see, if someone speaks, I grow up. I listen. I learn. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery. You see, whether I am listening to someone preach God's word or whether I am reading God's word, I am gaining knowledge of the mystery. But to do that, we have to want to. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, to salvation. It's something that I have to want to. That's the reason why Matthew 5 and verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. All our desire for knowledge is satisfied in Jesus and in his word. Now, you knew that. But now let me offer some practical suggestions that I believe will be helpful. Number one, you need to set a time for your personal Bible study. If you don't plan for it, you will not do it effectively. Now, I'm not suggesting which particular time would be best for you. It may be when you first get up in the morning before your breakfast. Some people get up and read the newspapers. They get up and read magazines. They listen to uh, the television news of what happened overnight. Set yourself a time, perhaps early in the morning. Or maybe it's at lunchtime. I've heard several people tell me that they carry their Bibles with them and when they have their lunch hour, they only take a certain amount of time to eat and then they'll spend maybe 15 minutes or so reading God's Word. It may be before you retire in the evening that you want to take time to read a few chapters of God's Word. Whenever you set aside that time, you need to be a daily Bible reader but set a time for it. Suggestion number two is we need to read sections of God's Word. I frequently will talk to people and they'll say, well, you know, I've started reading the Bible again. And they'll say, "I, I have a lot of my favorite passages of Scripture. I turned over and read the 23rd Psalm. Oh, that's a great passage of Scripture. And then they'll say, I, I really enjoy reading about Jesus in John chapter 3. Particularly verse 16 is one of my favorite verses. They will say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, I love that verse. That 
is valuable, but if you want to learn God's Word, you need to have an organized plan for reading. And read whole sections so that you can be able to under, learn to understand to read context. The things that go before it and after it. If you just pick out your favorite verses, you'll soon not be able to understand it as it is presented in God's Word. Number three, write down your conclusions that you have drawn from reading God's Word. And then test it. See if, if I read other parallel passages, if I have drawn the proper conclusion, particularly as you are reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will read a part of it, and you may say, I think this passage is saying this, but you can get you a, a parallel passage. Uh, there's a harmony of the Gospels that put all those passages side by side. I've got one in the back of my Bible that quite frequently I will refer to. Many times in your Bible there will be uh, various verse references or center column references which will talk about that same thing. Write your conclusions down and then look for other parts of Scripture and see if, if what you are drawing from that is actually what the text is saying. And then number four, meditate on it. Think about it. Think about what the writer was trying to say to those people who originally read those words or heard those words and then say, what do I need to do to apply that? That's the way you acquire knowledge. You're not going to acquire it miraculously. You're going to have to study it. Number two, let's talk about knowledge and wisdom. In Solomon's writing, perhaps the wisest man other than our Lord, he had a lot to say about this. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Chapter 9 and verse 9, he says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Chapter 18 and verse 15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. You know, it's wonderful for a person to be wise enough to seek knowledge, but wisdom is the application of knowledge. Is it possible that I can study through the Bible and gather facts and not use them properly? I want you to listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if you use it lawfully. But what if I don't use it lawfully? What if I do, as Peter said, I twist it and make it say something that it was not intended to say? Hmm. You see, wisdom is where I take the knowledge and the facts and I reason about them correctly. You can say, I, where are you going with that? 
Well, I always like a biblical illustration. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look beginning with verse 1, going through verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. The Corinthians possessed correct knowledge about idols. Was an idol anything at all? Was it real? No, it's just a piece of wood, a piece of stone, sometimes overlaid with gold, sometimes overlaid with silver. But in reality, it wasn't anything at all. So listen to Paul as he writes here. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. You know what the problem was? They knew that there was nothing in and of an idol. But they lacked wisdom to think, how do I exercise that knowledge? Because Paul will go on to say there's not in everyone that knowledge. That if somebody who sees you who have knowledge go and eat at an idol's temple, will not that person be emboldened to eat things sacrificed to idols? You're going to be putting a stumbling block before somebody else. You see, knowledge has to be applied And you not only take what knowledge you have from one passage of Scripture, but you take what you learn from the other passages of Scripture and you apply them together. Let me offer some practical observations, some suggestions here. Get all the knowledge you can get, but don't forget wise counsel. Don't forget the importance of applying that. In 1 Kings chapter 12, Solomon after his 40 years of reign passed away and his son Rehoboam ascended to the throne. Rehoboam went first to the wise men, the elders who had served with his father Solomon. They said, to Rehoboam, you want to be a good king? You want the people to follow you? These people have asked for some sort of reprieve, some sort of of lightening of their burdens. If you will serve this people and you will help this people, they will be your servants for life. Rehoboam then approached the young men and asked their wisdom. And to paraphrase it, put these people into their place. Let them know that you're the king. Tell them that your little finger is thicker than your father's waist and that you will scourge them. Guess whose advice he followed? That of the younger men. Of course, it was of God. But you have to understand, there's knowledge there. But you have to apply all of God's principles with regards to that. 
A third observation is the fact that we need to be careful of who's doing the talking. When you think about wisdom, I have to constantly defer to Solomon because of the wisdom God has given him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 17, he said, Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of the ruler of fools. Words of the wise spoken quietly. Do you know what I have observed in my few years of life? Is that the people who are clamoring, speaking up loudly, let me give you some advice, are generally the people you do not want to listen to. The people to whom you ought to be listening are the people of the quiet spirit. The people to whom you need to go and you need to ask their advice because they have been successful. You want to know how to have a good marriage? Go to a couple who have been married 62 years. Ask them. Don't ask the person who's already had four broken marriages and they're only 30 years old. But yet, who do we go to many times? You see, wisdom is the application of knowledge but understanding how to apply it correctly. Just like we need to be teachable with regards to facts, we need to be teachable with regards to wisdom. Number three, use it or lose it. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, he said, but meat or solid food are for those who are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. Their senses exercised by reason of use. They put it into practice. They live it every day. Let me illustrate this to you. In the spring of 1977, I was a student at Freed Hardeman University. In fact, I was a senior. And uh, I was taking Greek and seminar for Bible majors. And I don't remember the other classes, but I do remember the, other, the third one was Calculus. And I can remember sitting through that class, learning a lot, and thinking, why did I take calculus? Why did I need calculus? Since I finished that class, I have not revisited calculus since that day. If someone were to today to say, I've got a calculus problem I need for you to work, it would be absolutely foolish of me to try I've not used it, have very little need to even want to think about it. Now, if I were an engineer and I had to apply that every day, I'm sure that I could recall that. But you see, I don't use it. Had no need to use it. The problem is sometimes people study their Bible, learning what it is they need to do to become a Christian, And then time passes by. They don't use it. 
And they lose their knowledge. They lose their understanding. Colossians 1 and verse 10. That you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. James chapter 3 verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Proverbs 24 verse 5. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of understanding increases strength. You've got to use it each and every day. Let me offer a few practical suggestions here. One of the greatest ways to use the knowledge we have been given is to teach it to somebody else. One of the things that every teacher will tell you, everyone, I learned a whole lot more teaching than my students learned from what I said. Teaching makes you study, you learn it, you commit it to knowledge. That's one of the greatest things you and I could do to keep our knowledge going. Number two is to remember that as your knowledge expands, at some point it begins to expand exponentially. That is, it really begins to grow in several areas. And you'll begin to realize it's multiplying in your life. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 12, Jesus said, For to whom or whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away. I think that's true about knowledge. What will happen is you will know this fact over here and you will know this fact over here. Pretty soon you'll say, you know what, those two facts go together. And now instead of just knowing two facts, you now know three facts because you see how they fit together. There's so much to be learned by using and developing our knowledge. We discussed last week the failure of the people in the book of Hebrews to grow as they should. And there are disastrous consequences with regards to that. But the writer of the book of Hebrews says, But beloved, we're persuaded better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. If you've not been committing your life to knowing God's will I encourage you to do that. In fact, if you are a Christian and you've been a Christian five years, ten years, and this has not been a part of your daily growth process, I encourage you to make it a part of your life today, tonight. Go home. Pick up that Bible. Make you a plan to start reading and studying it. But you may be here and you're, you're thinking... I've been hearing the Bible preached from week to week. And I know that's what the Bible says, and it's true. And yet you've not yet become a Christian. We want to persuade you there's no better life than you can live than to be a Christian. 
No better place than you can go than to go to heaven. But to do that, you've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ. John 8 and verse 24. You've got to repent of your sins, Luke 13, verses 3 and 5, along with Acts 17 and verse 30. You've got to confess your faith in Christ, Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. And then you have got to be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 22 and verse 16, and Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. We plead with you tonight to become a New Testament Christian. Or if you're a child of God who needs to come home, to respond as we stand and sing.